0: What's up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brandlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And out in Long Beach, California,
1: nursing a hangover from eight whiskey sours with countless red apple cigarettes.
0: I'm Robert Denfeld. So it is our 40th episode, Rob. Wanted to uh, acknowledge that. Congrats. Off the top, 40 episodes down. Yeah. Another, you know, four thousand to go, hopefully. I don't know. We'll <laughs> right, see. Right. Um but uh <laughs> yeah, so that that is exciting and so we're you know, covering wanna... forty topics today. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's gonna be nine hours long. So yeah. no, just kidding. We are um, going to do a uh, deep dive into the new season of Netflix's mind hunter and also do a rapid fire on a bunch of things we we've dug from from the past month or so yeah and first want to get in to easily my favorite movie of the year so far which Rob alluded to um, which is Quinn Tarantino's once upon a time in Hollywood before we get into that just want to again yeah 40 episodes in want to thank everyone that's ever you know listened to any of our episodes or given us a you know rating or review or followed us on social media have given us any love or support anyway um it's you know rob and i like you know as we kind of said when we started doing this is really just like a side passion project for us passion project um, right it's really yeah it's really like just gravy when everyone you know when anyone we know um or don't know listens to it and and you know gives us positive feedback i wanted to uh yeah, it's a real thrill when someone comes
1: up to you and says, "Oh, I've been listening." It's like It's, a, oh, it's an cool. adrenaline Thank rush. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it validates our existence. Um so <laughs> Right. I, I wanted to quickly shout out probably, like, my favorite story of, like, getting feedback on a specific episode. So our, mm. our, our good friends, uh, Mike and Brittany, that I went, I've i known since high school. We both went to college to them. Uh-huh. They are now uh, married. Right. Uh, they were uh, backpacking through, I believe it was, like, the mountains of Hawaii, one of the islands there. Uh-huh. They were in, like, extreme heat. Um, it was, like, a hike that I think was, like, they underestimated, like, how long it would take. Right. Um, one of those, and they said they were, like, running low on water, they were super hot, but oh, they geez. had an episode of Must Go Faster, like, playing to, like, soundtrack this hike for them. It was the I love it. the Hanksgiving episode oh, yes. that we did um, back in, I think, yeah, the fall of 2017, a celebration of, of, of Tom Hanks's career, and they said that it, not to sound, like, dramatic, and maybe I'm embellishing a little bit here, but they said, like, it – it kept them motivated to keep like pushing through and like make it to the end that like, our so you're saying
1: must go faster, saved their lives,
0: saved lives. And and that's a testimonial. Yeah. I've, uh, it could save I've got their life approval too. to say that. Right. Yeah. 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 So I've always thought that that was probably, um, you know, definitely one of my favorite stories of people yeah. uh, saying how they enjoyed the pod. So great. Story. Thank you great to anecdote. them. Yeah, yeah. Thank you to them. And, and thanks to everyone thanks. for listening. And without further ado, let's get into some topics. Um, as I said, let's, Let's jump into Quinn Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This has been out yes. for, for several weeks now. It's the ninth movie from Tarantino. Of mm-hmm. course, stars you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, um, amongst mm-hmm. you know many others. Great cast. Here I come. Oh,
1: here I come. Actors are required to do a lot of dangerous stuff. Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that how you describe your job, Cliff? Carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right.
0: I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. In this town, that can all change like that. It's essentially this movie, like a snapshot slash day in the life portrait of, right. um, you know, the characters that these three play in 1969, Los Angeles. Um, mm-hmm. I saw this opening weekend. I saw it again um this past week in uh oh, in nice. 35 millimeter rob which Did I knew, um, you um that's great that's that's yeah making you arouse like the the film yeah. projector actually literally went out twice during this really? viewing which was um wow. yeah that's like within like after the first 30 minutes they got it up and running i was a little huh. nervous the second time it went out like that's never <laughs> yeah, yeah. happened and i was like oh god like i just saw like okay everyone go home we'll refund you right but projector got up and working and Seeing it in this format specifically was like just so wonderful. Like the cigarette burns on the screen, Uh the graininess just brought you even Mm -hmm. further into this world that Tarantino created. It was like morphing to the jugular, like watching it in this format (laughs) and, I, you know, just comparing it to some, you know. Something like Captain Marvel. It almost felt like a different medium than like you know a lot of the. It is right. I I, I don't. I I just right. Yeah. I mean, it's. But you know, essentially they are movies. You experience them in theaters. But um, yeah, I. I love this film. I know we. Me too. I know you've seen it, and we knew we were we were going to talk about it, but we haven't really exchanged thoughts on it at all. We've been saving it. Not much at all. It's been it's been simmering in our bodies (laughs) for the last few weeks, and we've been uh, waiting to talk about it with each other on the pod. So. Yeah, what were your kind of like initial mm. takes or like your overall uh, thoughts on this uh, this new Tarantino flick? Well, I've also seen
1: it twice now. I saw it last night um, mm. in sort of in preparation for this podcast, yes. but also I I just wanted to see it again. Uh, Natalie's out of town right now. And I was, you know, I saw a free evening where I had nothing to do. And I went and just saw it by myself um, at a Regal Cinemas nearby Um and I just wanted to kind of like hang out with these characters again. It's such a, Mm. it's such a hangout movie and a day in the life, as you said, Um, you know, the two characters, Rick Dalton and uh, Cliff Booth played by uh, Leo and Brad, like those two characters along with Margot Robbie, um, you know, they're just like so interesting. And uh, it's really like a character study of those, those uh, three people. And, um, you know, just spending time with them again—it's—it's it's weird. It's like it's such a hangout, kind of like buddy movie in a lot of right. ways between those two. Um, mm-hmm. It's just such a fun experience. There's so much joy and like passion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's his warmest you know Tarantino. Tarantino, I
0: would say, you know, Tarantino's like w- warmest, which is you yeah, know they're, and they're sentimental. Yeah, like his most wholesome. And this is compared to like right. his other eight films. Um, you know, just compared to those, like there isn't you know, too much like drug use or like really graphic right. violence until the last you know, <laughs> 15 minutes, which we'll get into. Yeah. Um, but I Although felt that, that is, it is yeah. kind of,
1: sorry, it is kind of deceiving. Like a lot of people, you know, I've, I've listened to people talk about this movie and, you know, just like, uh, some random people that I work with and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're like, Oh, well it's not it's not a typical Quentin Tarantino movie, it's not exactly what I was expecting. I've even heard some people say they like walked out of this movie, which is like a travesty to me. I'm like, wow, people should be wow, in prison. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what were you watching? Like were you, you were in a different movie You're than I was. But yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, so it is a well, it's deceiving because there's a lot of violence within the sort of like bit uh roles that Rick Dalton plays, you know. Um mm. Like, he, he kills the, the Nazis with the flamethrower. and right. But it's kind of, of like and McCluskey. A right. yeah, yeah. But, like, there are a lot of deaths. And if you actually, like, count how many deaths are on screen, like, it's not a, a low number. And there right. is violence in this movie, but it's kind of, like, hidden in a way. Yeah. It's in the
0: background. When you compare it which to, is like, cool, a- except for the, the end. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, like, a kill bill or Reservoir Dogs, where the, I mean, Reservoir, like, the violence in that is so, like, raw and unflinching. Right. Like, this is just handled, handled differently. Um, yeah. And it's and, a genre movie. It's a, right. the genre is, it's a movie about making movies. That,
1: that's like a Quentin Tarantino right. quote that I, Meta. I heard in an interview. Like, it's, it's, uh, definitely like a film lover's passion project. Mm. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's all was kind of like in his head. And, uh, mm. it's,
0: it's definitely a love story about Los Angeles. And he'd been working on it for like six, I think he said he first got like, the first couple of kernels for this story, like right uh-huh. after he made Death Proof, which I believe that yeah, was like so, in mid so like he's been, this has been like festering in his mind for, you know, over like 10 years and stuff. So it, I think
1: it's pretty clear that you've listened to this, uh, the Director's Cut interview with Paul Thomas Anderson, is
0: that correct? Uh, yeah, I've, I mainline that.
1: Okay, okay. I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna reference that and just, and shout it out and kind of recommend it. Um, there's this podcast called the Director's Cut, done by the Director's Guild of America, Um, And basically at DGA screenings at the L.A. or New York theater um, after a screening, one director, one famous, uh, important director will interview the director of that film that they just screened uh, Mm -hmm. on stage, like directly after the movie. Um, And this one was Paul Thomas Anderson interviewing Quentin Tarantino, talking about this movie Uh, I'm going to refer to this interview quite a bit because it's, you know, 35 minutes, but it's a bunch of amazing nuggets and kernels of information. Um, And I highly recommend if you enjoyed this movie, uh, you should definitely listen to this interview.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I listened to it the other day. Uh, Yeah, one thing that struck me is that he had the first element of the movie that he had in mind was the ending. So he basically like reverse engineered it backwards. The ending is so distinct and specific to Tarantino's vision. Like I think, yeah, Yeah. we can break that down in a little bit. Um, Yeah. As you were saying with this movie, like you really just want to spend time with these characters. The performances are just so like endearing and and layered Mm -hmm. and the world building is just, is so good. I mean, so this takes place at greater Los Angeles in 1969, you know, hippies are running rampant there's this uh transition um in terms of like the types of movies that hollywood was funding and wanted to make Uh um just like the amount of detail in every scene like you really have to admire it so like it's incredible the storefronts the cars the fashion the like the commercials that are on like these TV sets, by the way, those TV sets are like, you know, like just like the big boxy, you know, just, I I don't know. I thought that was, those are cool. Perfect. Um, you know, the soundtrack, tiny, tiny, like, uh,
1: small tabletop in his trailer in Van Nuys, like behind the drive-in theater. Oh, I love that TV. (laughs) I love that that scene. scene, Just like the camera brandy, kind of
0: like leisurely panning around cliff Booth's uh, Uh his trailer home. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there is so incredible much. crane shots in this film. A lot of Robert crane Richardson's shots. the DP. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like those overhead crane shots are used really well.
0: Uh, throughout the whole, you got to demand and, and a, a crane shot in your next uh, short film that you, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> be like, oh, we don't we'll have see the if I can Just give me it. a crane shot. Um, yeah. So, speaking of speaking
1: of UCLA, that film or that uh, that moment in the film where um, Sharon Tate, played by Margot Robbie, goes and watches the wrecking crew at the Bruin. Yeah. Um. So the Bruin is that that mm-hmm. scene and that whole sequence is shot in uh, Westwood mm-hmm. and where UCLA is located. And that, they shot that at the Real Bruin Theater, which is at the bottom of UCLA's campus in Westwood. Mm-hmm. And so that was shot like last October, I believe. You know, that was right after I started my first year of film school there. And, uh, it, you know, it was quite the buzz on campus where people oh, were yeah, like showing pictures and like Quentin Tarantino's down there and you know Robert Richardson's spotting you know uh, yeah, yeah so it was pretty cool to see like my school currently shown on <laughs> it on was the really yeah, a little bit
0: more than anything yeah yeah, no, um, <laughs> right. yeah I also loved you know just other like subtle touches like the the um, ads that play in between the songs like on the radio and like yeah, the yeah. sound of just like the you know changing radio stations and yeah um, yeah just like the shots of, of driving through like dusk uh-huh. los angeles like I expect again that was really enhanced in the 35 millimeter viewing that i watched oh yeah and, um yeah it just different seems like formats it's so much the, fun making this yeah yeah
1: the different uh like aspect ratios and film formats that are shot throughout and you know yeah. just using what it would have been shot in yeah uh, was right. really cool and switching aspect ratios yeah and yeah it's it's a true like love story in a lot of ways and the oh, love yeah. is love like letter love letter to Hollywood and yeah you know once upon a time in Hollywood obviously refers to like the fairy tale nature of the story Mm -hmm. and how sort of everything revolves around the Sharon Tate you know Manson murders and um you know it's interesting to hear Quentin talk about that as like uh I say Quentin like he's my buddy but you know people kind of refer to him (laughs) as Quentin but um you know it's like one of those things where he he referred to as like Zodiac or Titanic where everybody kind of knows the end of the story going into the into the movie and you're kind of anticipating that but he obviously like flips it on its head, you know, spoiler alert, um, they are not murdered at the end
0: and uh, quite the opposite. You know, the uh, yeah, the, murderer, and- the murderers become the murdered.
1: <laughs> right, and it just yeah. shows sort of like The chance nature of anything that happens in life about, you know, what if Rick Dalton wasn't blending a a thick blender full of margaritas at the time and like heard the muffler and walked outside and, you know, stopped the event from happening and changes the course of Hollywood history, you know, right? Um, it's just it's it's the fairy tale nature of that was just really kind of awe inspiring and uh, really beautiful to watch.
0: Also, yeah, in that interview with Paul Thomas Anderson that uh, Tarantino gives, he talks about how, you know, his desire to tell this kind of um, alternate version of—well, not alternate, but like, you know, Sharon Tate's life, unfortunately, was defined— you know, right. way more than anything by this, like, just horrible, like... Right, her legacy. Like, you know, yeah. disturbing, horrible, like, murders, you know, in the history of, the, of this country. But I think uh, the approach that Tarantino took of showing her as this kind of, like, you know, budding actor and going to the theater and watching people enjoy a performance and show that she was just, like, someone that liked to, like, li- listen to records and dance and have a good time. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just kind of... um Showing a more uh, you know holistic view of who this person was, and I, I thought like I admired that he kind of um, did that path, Definitely. and it sounded like it was for like righteous reasons and stuff. So like right. hearing him kind of explain that rationale, I, I you know, it helped kind of flesh out why he decided to you know um, do with that character what what he did. And I, I loved that he showed her really acting in
1: the Wrecking Crew. You know, like when she's watching right. it in the theater, it's it's really Sharon Tate on screen that we're seeing. It's not like margot robbie spliced in like it like it is for the great escape with leonardo dicaprio <laughs> right. which was yeah. really funny that instead was of steve mcqueen that was great yeah. yeah like such a good bit but yeah I, I i agree it was really um
0: tragic in a way
1: but also great to see
0: yeah it was like a blissful performance by margot robbie she's definitely uh-huh. you know um she's you know at the top of her game here her and face, that character her face
1: in that theater like when she's watching herself and just hearing the people yeah. around her laughing and like taking that in. I was just like, man, right. this is, it's such like a beautiful moment that you, yeah, you don't like, really think innocent. about like an actor, you know, you kind of like see actors as like above all of that in a way, but right. really they're just human beings that want their art to be recognized and appreciated and loved. And it's just, yeah. it's kind of beautiful to see
0: that on screen. And it was interesting, <clears throat> you know, what her character represents is like, yeah, becoming this emerging star, um you know she she basically uh shows like the one side of fame um you know the kind of that innocence and you know right. experiencing your movie for the first time and, and watching people enjoy your performance bringing joy to like strangers life and you know are the lives of people in this theater and then on yeah, the other end that's you what have it's all about Leo's character Rick Dalton who's just on the other end of the spectrum who's become very cynical he's in this transitional period he's falling <laughs> right. out of his prime et cetera like the duality between those two character types I found really interesting and uh-huh. you know Brad and Leo like I know we're huge fans of, of theirs we essentially like grew up with them, especially Leo. Like, you know, we both like, I know he was in, you know, did some great work before Titanic, Mm -hmm. but I think, you know, the rise of Titanic, you know, we were like 11 years old. Like that was kind of this seminal cultural moment for us. And, you know, he's had this incredible career with just like, has made such good, you know, decisions on the directors that he works with and and things like that. And just to see, you know, him and and, Brad Brad Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them, both of them. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like they could have, you know, uh, decided not to go that route and you know had a career like Will Smith's where he just did a bunch of trash right. for 15 years and now no uh-huh. one really you know anyway but um <clears throat> the chemistry that they both have Man. you know in this movie together and it's something that actually struck me watching the second time they actually spend more time much more time apart than they, they do. are together yeah um, but it's such All a three of them they're, they're, it's kind of like the three of their
1: individual stories that they really don't intertwine with uh, Sharon Tate, Margot Robbie's character mm-hmm. until the very last moment of the film is like the first time that Rick Dalton meets her, you know. Right. And yeah, it is. They do like Brad Pitt's scene, Cliff Booth, when he goes to the Spawn movie ranch. Mm. That's like a thirty-minute sequence. sequence where they're they're completely right. apart. And uh, yeah, it, a lot of the time they're just they're off on their own journeys, which is you know yeah. really compelling. What what it's I wanted a, to ask you. Yeah. Like, what was your experience um, seeing it for the second time? Like, how did that differ from your first viewing?
0: Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. As with most Tarantino movies, like, they get better, you know, after repeated viewings. Right. And I found myself, you know, we said this is kind of more of a hangout movie than anything else. There's not, like, this driving plot. There's not, like, you know, with the exception of kind of, like, the final 20 minutes. There isn't, like, a ton of tension. There's the spawn ranch sequence, which gets quite tense, and that's, like, beautifully staged and crafted but um yeah i found myself on, really on real location more invested in like you know where leonardo DiCaprio, you know rick dalton like this character where he's at in his career and just um you know when he's on set in the second act um through uh what was it called like lancer or whatever he's like brought on and you know like i i, I was more um engage it was kind of a reverse like I, I was kind of uh more engaged in the story a second time where the first time i was just like blown away by just like the world building in the vibe right. and just like letting yeah. that wash over me the second time i was really like able to like zero in on kind of and again there isn't you know this this driving plot you know right one sequence leads to another but i found um the second act to be much more engaging the second time. Mm -hmm. The first time I watched it, I felt it was like a little too aimless. I was like, okay, they could have maybe Mm. chopped off some of it, cut the fat a little bit. But watching, I was like, you know, this is a long movie. It's two hours and 40 minutes long. But like every Mm. minute is like, I found to be highly entertaining.
1: It's so riveting. Yeah, I I really don't understand people's, like, argument that it's slow in the beginning. I I don't find that at all. I saw it last night, and I I did have to use the restroom, like, an hour in, Mm -hmm. and I I was just trying to find the right moment (laughs) to get up for, you know, I'm only going to be out of the theater for, like, two minutes, but... I really couldn't find those two minutes. I was like, "Well, I can't leave now. They're about to go to the Spawn movie ranch. I can't leave now." Like, so you, we're about you wet to see, yourself and you, have yeah, no we're regrets. about to see like the scene of Leo with Trudy, and that's like one of the greatest parts. You know, like I, I just couldn't find the moment. No. I finally snuck out, but it's just so uh, scene-driven in a way. It's it's similar to Pulp Fiction. Like I've heard, I've heard people refer to Pulp Fiction as this like collection of moments and scenes rather mm-hmm. than like this sort of movie that you have to watch from beginning to end and it like kind of lives on youtube because you can watch like eight minutes oh, yeah. of of pulp fiction and and like feel the vibe and i think this movie will kind of live in the same way eventually where people just like youtube the spawn ranch sequence and watch that or right you know or the freak uh, out of leo and the trailer or yeah you know, the Bruce yeah Lee fight with it's just with like all these character. amazing moments yeah
0: right that um you know just uh one more thing about the Leo performance. I just found it to Mm -hmm. be like so layered, like, you know, this guy's like very insecure, but he's also like very prideful and like, right. you know, wants to be, you know, he's had success to an extent. Like he's made, you know, a lot of, you know, actors would kill for the kind of success he had, but he's not, you know, necessarily happy because there's, you know, he's not quite at the top there. Um, you know, when he's on the set. I'm a has-been. Right. Oh yeah. And he smokes a cigarette. I love the way he delivers <laughs> yeah. that line. Like, it's official old yeah. buddy. I'm a has-been. Oh, um, but-
1: I'm has-been. So
0: has- been. <laughs> the- um, to play a part like that, like in a movie within a movie, and then like he's on set, and then like he's also like frustrated because he can't remember the line. Like, there's just like, right, like right. that's like really complex <laughs> acting, yeah. you know. And obviously, you couldn't he's, have like, had three expert. or
1: four whiskey sours; you had to have eight whiskey <laughs> right, sours. Yeah. So, like, no, oh, like, oh yeah, alcohol, the jump cuts. Like, you're that's a that's pathetic, <laughs> right, right.
0: When he um it's, stares at himself like in the mirror, and you see like his reflection oh, yeah, yeah. like back at you. Yeah, Becky, my fiance, uh, she like cackled in that, in that part. Like I don't think I've ever heard her laugh quite like that in a movie theater. Like it was like, yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's an hilarious sequence. It's such a funny
1: movie. It's so comedic. And, and it's interesting. I was, I was trying to observe the theater around me. It was a pretty full theater last night. Uh, you know, like four weeks after the movie came out, still a full theater on a Saturday night, which I loved. Um, but, it's almost like the first time you see it, people are a little more like hesitant to laugh. But then on my second viewing, I was sitting there by myself, like, with my candy bar and coffee, and I was I was like having a laugh riot, you know? Like I, right, right. I found myself laughing almost in oh. every scene. Even toward the end like the last scene. I mean, no spoiler alert, but like
0: I no, was I was laughing
1: it, yeah. my ass off during that I like, it's spoil- obviously like terrible violence and like uh you know say what you will about it but uh i I, it was those poor poor manson followers (laughs) yeah
0: um dude no i i i I, like was like hurting with laughter in the final scene i don't know if that makes Uh, us like maniacs but like (laughs) whatever like these people were followers of charles freaking manson like tex watson is the one who carried out all those murders and you know susan atkins (laughs) And Patricia Krenwinkel isn't it like I, yeah, I looked up those oh, nice those two I mean yeah like they, thanks for um, doing that research right 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 I mean I you know I I, I had a pretty you know good knowledge of, of you know the Manson uh you mm-hmm. know saga and all that stuff but um yeah let's the ending like it really does take its time like I love the way it kind of builds suspense like leading up mm-hmm. to like you know the, the time stamps and I believe that's oh, it's is that Tarantino doing the voiceover it doesn't sound no like him, it's, it's it. Kurt Russell Kurt Russell, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that that makes sense. But very, like, methodical, and I was honestly shocked, given how a lot of Tarantino movies go and kind of unfortunate things can happen about the characters that you're, you know, you care about, you know. Right. Think, like, you know, Vincent Vega, John Travolta's character in Pulp Fiction. Like, Mm -hmm. I thought... I, I was shocked that neither, you know pit or leo's character didn't get like abruptly murdered like for example yeah. when leo goes out to his cul-de-sac in his robe with his pitcher of frozen margaritas and like yeah. berates the manson kids like in the car i thought he was a gun like i thought they were just gonna like go up and shoot him but um mm-hmm. you know just yeah the way it unfolds with cliff booth and his dog his pitbull dog like taking out these three just despicable humans yes the violence you know is over the top and and some of it is hard to watch but like I just love the way he flipped the script there. Yeah. And, and I mean,
1: Brad Pitt is tripping on an acid dipped cigarette. Like it's, it's meant to kind of be comedic and there's the, you know, the Italian wife of Leo, I forget her name. um, Oh yeah. 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 You know, like yelling in Italian and the dog and like, it's obviously like this flashy comedic sequence, but you know, it's kind of centered around like ultra violence. Um, and, you know, like, it, he, he
0: burns her to a crisp with my flamethrower, you Burner know, like. Yeah. yeah. Burn Um When he brings out the flamethrower, just like the way it's sh- it shot, like leading up to it and the music building, I was just, yeah. right, let me let me say something really quickly <laughs> about the flamethrower because this is actually a, a personal use to me. So my uh, brother got married um, a few weeks ago and had his bachelor party in July. Nice. One of his good uh, buddies, uh, Drees, uh-huh. if you're listening, Drees, I know he's, he's a listener, shout out to Drees. Nice. He had acquired, I'm gonna make this quick, but, he had acquired oh, yeah. a, a flamethrower yes. uh, through um, <laughs> Elon Musk's, like, side venture, the boring company. He got it, like, uh-huh. I want to say maybe a year or two ago. Wow. We knew he had it. Planning the bachelor party, we were kind of, like, guilting Drees into, like, hey, Drees, you're bringing the flamethrower, right? Like, why else? This is why you own it, right? For moments, like, a bachelor party. He brings the flamethrower to the bachelor party, the second night, he basically, like, I want to say, like, kicks in the front door and be like, it's time. He's locked and loaded with a flamethrower. This, this happened. I, I, and basically, like, all 12 of us at the bachelor party took turns shooting a flamethrower. It was one of the highlights of a really fun That's weekend. incredible. And there's some amazing, yeah, uh, photos and video from it. Um, Whatever you want to check on my Instagram, you can see my brother gleefully, Did uh, you, <laughs> you know, pumping the flamethrower. So Did you, you can imagine, say, is there anything we can do about this heat? <laughs> right. Well, this was before... I saw Once Upon a this was literally two weeks before That's Once Upon crazy. a Time came out. Man, what are the so, chances of that? You can imagine the elation I felt to have like the flamethrower be brought oh, back yeah. in to this story. And I don't know, I just felt like seeing like what is he did he do you know, for me, because like literally two weeks ago, I was using a flamethrower. Obviously not on a human being, like we were just shooting out in the open or anything like that. But it was quite it's been quite the summer for the for the <laughs> flamethrower, I'll say. It is. Um, so The flamethrower say that. And, I mean, just a few other things, like, um, before we move on to My Hunter that I just loved about this yeah. film, like, the insert shots, um, you know, Tarantino just does a great job of, like, making just things look, like, scrumptious, whether it's, like, oh, yeah. the Bloody Mary or, like, the mac and cheese that Brad Pitt's right. character
1: makes in his trailer. Yeah, the um, little like, quick cuts, and he does, like, these little jump cuts to
0: really, like, speed those up and make them lively, yeah. Right. The music, like, I, you know, I've been streaming the, the soundtrack on Spotify, like, he... Tarantino, he does a great job of finding like songs from specific eras that like sound like they were hits, but actually the soundtrack is incredible. Here, I I cannot wait to buy this soundtrack. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good vinyl, uh, final purchase right there. Um, So you mentioned the Spawn Ranch sequence, like cliff booth going up to see george spawn who's played by bruce Uh dern like that stage like a horror sequence and like with all the manson girls like gathering behind him as he creeps up slower and slower just the tension that was built that was like just a massively done sequence those Um, shots of tex riding back
1: on the horse those like oh yeah vast tracking shots those were those were beautiful
0: Mm -hmm. really great i think just like this movie's existence, like, it's released in the middle of the summer. It's not based on any, you know, existing IP. It stars, like, right. two, like, classical movie stars in the sense that could have been, you know, you know, Leo and Brad Pitt, or, you know, it's kind of like Humphrey Bogart and Jimmy Stewart, or, you know, something right. like that, of, like, this time, there was a huge budget for it. Um, it's over two and a half hours long. It flies by. And it made $41 million opening weekend. I believe it opened number two, but was still, like, a big success, given how much yeah. money it made that weekend. At the time of recording this, 123 million at the domestic wow. box office. So, That's like, great. it's awesome that you know uh, audiences went to go see this. I think this is a movie like will definitely be a big part of the Oscar conversation later this year. Yeah, and it's just been really fun to uh, talk about and think about, and just having this auteur director, you know, um, you know, still like clearly kind of in in the prime of, of his career, even though he's supposed yeah. to, I guess only make one more movie. We'll see how that goes, but we'll see. Yeah i um, uh bold prediction yeah. for the Oscars Ben yes
1: I think this is gonna win best picture you
0: do okay uh yeah i do. I've, That's I've, my I've... it's my bold prediction okay we will uh we will revisit that and i I mean yeah I, I it's it's somewhat bold i i you know I could be I could be convinced of that we'll see how you know this there's you know tons of right you know, <laughs> there's still out that, 12, Twelve movies but, that I haven't. But seen I could, that, I you know, I could, you know, yeah. it'd be a strong narrative. You know, Tarantino's obviously his movies. He's won, um, for writing multiple times, but right. none of his movies have won for director, or best picture. I imagine Leo will be nominated, probably Pitt as well, maybe mm-hmm. uh Margo. You know, so yeah, it, yeah, it'll be a big part of that conversation. And where does this movie rank for you as far as like Tarantino? Like, do you have yeah that offhand? Do you where does um, it slot in on like the uh, the nine that he's made for you?
1: I mean, I was really jazzed up about it last night, and I was like, is it my number one? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's better than Pulp Fiction. Own, in my own head, you know? Um, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, it's definitely solidly in the top three for me. Uh, I think my favorite three are Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards and this, and that's not like a very, you know, out there take. <laughs> like, a lot of people right. have those three as his best. As well as um, me, also that's literally... Love- that- That's literally my three. This is why we do a pocket. Right. I mean, I also love Kill Bill and I love Jackie Brown. I think those movies are great as well. And all of his movies are really
0: good. Um, But yeah, that would be my top five. Nice. Yeah. And I, my final rating, I would say like, I've bumped this up to like a 9.1 out of 10. Um, Nice. Not that like, I mean, it's, I can't say it's like a 10, but I really like don't have much you know uh many criticisms of it Mm -hmm. especially after that second viewing um so yeah yeah, i loved it definitely favorite thing i've seen this year and i imagine it'll be you know when we do our top 10 movies of the year at the end of the year we'll be we'll be talking about this one again so yeah
1: mine's like my rating is like a 9.5 honestly like it's i don't even know it it might be a 10 like let's just call it a 10 It's It's (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i can't imagine it being better you know it's it's perfect (laughs) Yeah.
0: All right, so we both are all in on Tarantino's latest. Let's um let's move into some TV, the new season of Mindhunter yeah. which is back with its second season. It took about 2 years off. Um yeah, quite, it did. A, quite a hiatus. Uh-huh. And here's the thing about this show, Rob, like it is so like in my wheelhouse of like the kind of like dramas that I want to consume. like It's a mood. David yeah. Fincher's vision, this dark drama thriller with a focus right. on like serial killers. It's historical. Yeah. Like this, the low lighting and the cinematography. Yeah. I like, mean, I know your
1: feelings it, about Zodiac and David Fincher. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's in your wheelhouse.
0: Yeah. And I, it's so almost feel like I can't like detach myself from that bias and like accurately right. assess this show. <laughs> right. I freaking loved this season nice this like on this pod we're doing things of like this is some of the best stuff i've seen this year like once upon a time in hollywood favorite movie i've seen this year this along with season two of barry i would say are my mm. favorite tv seasons of the year so far this year nice. and i with mindhunter like i savored this season like a fine wine like i'm glad mm. i didn't binge it mm. i mean it is like you know maybe not the most bingeable show yeah because it's how, hard to like, watch more than dense like the like subject matter in one night yeah so i watched it over the course of like eight days but I think us two, I really maybe, maybe like six days for us. And, you know, the second half of the season, of course, focuses on on these like heinous Atlanta child murders where at least mm-hmm. 28 uh, black children were murdered over the span of, uh, you know, two years from 1979 to 81. I had like a baseline knowledge of these murders going in, Um, you know, knew that they had arrested someone for, but I knew there was some kind of like... Uh, sense cold of, case this guy actually it. do it yeah, right yeah. right but so this was like a total you know i had kind of the the basics um understood but right um you know i mean i, I don't even know where to get like how, how much i love this season like yeah david fincher directed uh six of the nine episodes no he only did three um, he did three. Oh, he only did three yeah okay, he did okay. so david
1: fincher did the first three and then uh, Andrew Dominic, um, you know known mm-hmm. from the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, uh, directed episode four and five. And then uh,
0: Carl Franklin directed episodes uh, six through nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Fincher, I mean he's one of my all-time favorite directors. He hasn't made a movie since 2014's Gone Girl. So it's like a gift. To see him behind like the camera, just yeah. like the precision, man, um, every cut, the cinematography. Yeah. I mentioned like the low sepia lighting. I just like adore the look of this show. Like you could like screenshot like any scene from this show, yeah. like print it, frame it. I'll like hang it in my apartment. It's nice. Like what you know, like, right. it's, uh, it's just, oh man, I just love, love the look. And No, um, I,
1: I said this to Natalie after, I, I believe the second episode when, um, Bill's character, Bill, tench meets with uh -hmm. uh, he's meeting the kansas you know uh detective in charge of like investigating these btk killer crimes he meets with this guy who like the one person that kind of escaped the btk killer and in that car you know underneath the bridge Mm -hmm. or whatever just the the sound design and like the shot sequencing and the way we're like we're trying to, like, sneak a peek of the guy's face because apparently he had taken three shots, uh, you know, bullets to the face, and, like, he had all these surgeries and stuff, And but he, you never see it. Um, and right, out of like, focus. Yeah, you hear, like, the train, and there's, like, some weird things with the sound design in this show where, where you, are like, hear, like, a, a faint scream in the background of... And you're like, why was that there? Like, is that in the show, or are we just hearing that, like, as sort of like Mm -hmm. to put you in that mindset. But yeah, that that scene, especially, I was like, I said to Natalie after the episode, I was like, if Alfred Hitchcock was the, you know, the master of suspense, as he's often called, I think uh, David Fincher is like the master of tension. Mm -hmm. The way he establishes tension and like builds and the audience kind of like feeds off of those tense moments. And it's, I just, it's just really incredible filmmaking. It's
0: like, low-fi tension in a way though it, right. it's because it's it's you know this show it's very creepy um but it's not like flashy and you know there's not um you know i thought it was kind of like a f- uh the camera style was like fairly like formal like there isn't like ton of right. showing off like you know yeah. fincher you know early in his career with like you know things like fight club you know the camera is like whizzing around and it's like extremely flashy he's become a bit more formal in the last you know like something like Gone Girl, which I rewatched a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, there's it, a lot of like over-the-shoulders yeah, and
1: there, there's not as much, you know, Adobe Premiere and Adobe After Effects work in these, you know, like he's kind of known mm-hmm. for, for that sort of uh, after post-production, uh, you know, computer-generated effects and stuff. But there's not as much of this. It's a lot of like classic over-the-shoulder two shots and mm-hmm. rack focuses and like simple – things but he does it in such a way that it's it's super compelling and like it's uh,
0: impossible to take your eyes off of. Yeah, and they don't really show any graphic violence. I mean like little little blips of it. I mean there's definitely some some you know gruesome moments in this season of like, you know, pulling a a body out of, you know, the the river or uh-huh. um you know, photographs from some of these like murder scenes, but um you know, they they show just enough to like build that uh, that eeriness but mm-hmm. it's not it's not manipula you know a lot of like shows that maybe focus on serial killers like there's a lot of kind of just cheap shots of like right. grotesque gore and like the right. show doesn't rely on it it's more through the character work um, yeah and it's not about that it's about the, yeah
1: it's about the you know detect detectives and right. FBI agents who are sort of creating this this form of research and form of investigation. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, you don't, it's not really about the murders themselves. It's more about the mindset of the murderers and, and the mindset of the people investigating and like the impact that these murders have on, on so many people's lives and, and how like things just sort of revolve and live around the murders, not the actual events themselves. It's really,
0: it's interesting in that way. Cause it kind of like flips the form on its head. Totally. I think this season two does a really, one thing that really stood out to me is like an evolution from season one is just the development of the characters of Tench and Dr. Wendy Carr. Um, You know, Holden Ford, Ford's uh, development was kind of the focus in season one. And this season really fleshed out uh, Tench and Carr, made them like very, you know, um, multi-dimensional characters Mm -hmm. in really captivating ways. I think, you know, what they did with Tench and the chilling unveiling of yeah, what his son does at son, the end right yeah at the end of episode four that was like when that happened at first i was like whoa and i was like is that like a little too over the top but then the way it's handled the rest of the season where it's like you know it's not like the boy was like the one who committed the murders but he witnessed it and allowed it to happen and was the one that made the like you know, disturbing uh, suggestion well, to like put him on a cross. Like he has some just s- disturbing shots in this uh, in oh, this season. Yeah, like, no, that kid is like, like is that the, not is well. that
1: like uh, the the kid from the Omen, like Damien or whatever. Like he has some oh, yeah. uh, some jarring images from this season. Yeah, it's
0: uh, th- watch out for that kid. <laughs> right, intense, just having to reconcile with the fact, like just given his line of work and how that's seeping into like you know interfering with working the case in atlanta or in episode five when they interview uh you know charlie manson and tex watson who you know we talked about in once upon a time it's, it's yeah funny those interviews talking about both these shows man those
1: scenes were incredible
0: when that episode episode five so it's 81 minutes long i thought that was like a masterpiece of an episode that, might have that been was a, my favorite yeah a, a banger um the like when holden mentions to uh to tench uh like after the manson interview like hey we're we're not far from like Tex Watson. I was like, Oh, they're going to interview Tex Watson now. All right, let's freaking do this. And I thought those interviews were like pretty revealing of just kind of like their motives and, and you know, Manson and Texas, like just their understanding of why they did this. And yeah, you know, the jealousy that other like inmates have of Manson. He's kind of this attention whore. And he's like, you know, Manson, like, He's talk. He's kind of just full of shit. He just talks mm. in like this this weird, like vague, like, <laughs> right. philosophical. But it's like it's yeah. so easy to like see through it and be like, this guy's just like none of this is insightful. He thinks it yeah. is like I I don't know. But I thought like the writing in that scene when they're interviewing Manson was yeah. um really interesting. And you know the thing about Manson is like out of all the serial killers that you know Tension Holden have had interviewed, um, he's the only one who actually didn't kill. Someone. But he's the most notorious right. because, you know, he just has like this brand and you know, for a variety of ways of like just being such a notorious um you know, person in all, in all this. But, Not uh, to mention
1: in that in that episode we get a scene with our boy Ed Kemper. The uh Yes, and it was the I, co ed I
0: Yeah, it was it was great to see old um it's funny that in the mix.
1: it's so funny that i was like excited to see him on screen and i'm like oh like an old it's friend. my boy ed <laughs> yeah, it's like well the way they like this talk is one of the worst them... people of all time
0: right yeah yeah like yeah he like you know uh he's kind of like, charming you know I'd, yeah <laughs> we've like, talked ed, about this like, before you know, right I, yeah i don't even want to like talk about what he well did, and he, like, and yeah, he says guy. that he
1: says as much about uh, charles manson he's like well he, he never killed anyone he doesn't know what it's like you know um, right that's yeah. really
0: interesting just like how, like, this ecosystem of, like, they look at, you know, one another, and how yeah. they felt about someone like Manson, and just kind of, yeah, that, like, respect and admiration that, like, Kemper has mm-hmm. for Hold'em intent, like, it was just very clear, you know, they were, obviously, like, those three characters were, you know, spent a lot of time together in season one, Yeah. Um. but. Yeah, I, I would say,
1: overall, about this season, I, I really enjoyed it, and it's, it's great, you know, it's so well-made, and um, especially the first three and or even like the first five or six or seven episodes. I, I I was a little left like wanting at the end a little more. And maybe that's just the nature of like the case itself, the case, how it yeah. ended. Yeah, it ended so like unsatisfactory, uh, like. You just, you get, like, the guy arrested for two of the murders, but then those other 27 or 28 or whatever are kind of left right. uh, hanging, and you don't really know who is responsible for them exactly, and, you know, obviously the parents of those children still to this day probably feel that way, and, uh, you know, like, they never got a final resolution to the to the murder of their child, but... Um, yeah, I, I, enjoyed it a lot. I, I think it's about on par with the first season for me. Um, do you, do you mm-hmm. think you kind of enjoyed it more? I guess that doesn't really matter, but.
0: No, yeah, I, 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 definitely, um, thought this was like a step up. Um, I, I definitely hear what you're saying about the ending. Like it has this kind of, to mention Zodiac again, kind of this feel of like, you know, we're pretty sure this is the guy. He matches the profile more than anyone. We have variety of evidence, but we don't have that full circle, like satisfaction of like, He's without a doubt the person that committed, you know, all 30 of these murders. So it is, like, unresolved to an extent. But apparently I was doing some, you know, Wikipedia deep diving quickly after, you know, the season concluded about the Atlanta child murders and, like it really was like extremely accurate just um, the show compared to like what happened in, in real life, you know, especially, you know, with how they zeroed in on the, on the, on the, on the suspect of, of Wayne Williams, like how he was first caught. Like, you know, the officer hears like a splash on like the last night of them patrolling those rivers mm-hmm. uh, or the water and stuff. So like it, it, um, it really was just uh, you know, the way it actually played out in, in, in real life. Um, and I thought, those last three episodes where they really like just all the episodes are really just dominated by the Atlanta investigation. I just love kind of like the step-by-step process and like how tedious it was. Like it it reminded me of the show, like reminded me of the wire in certain senses, like of just Mm -hmm. the realism and patience that it had, Um, you know, like, Holden, like, running up against, like, all this, like, red tape from, like, the local Atlanta PD, where he's, like, right. you know, like, I need these flyers yeah, the printed out, or we need to get this, like, and all. he's, like, we can't, yeah, it's, like, really interesting, and, um, you know, fighting for, like, resources, and, like, it's mm-hmm. a series of, like, failures constantly, and just how hard, like, the nitty-gritty of, like, that job is. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, the insistence of, like, Atlanta locals thinking it's the guy who's committing these murders is, like, from the KKK, which is, like, totally understandable, but, like... Right. You know, uh, Holden is just saying, like, you know, what, um, you know, my past, you know, experiences, like, interviewing these serial killers, like, and, you know, what my instincts tell me is, like, it's just not, and it's, like, it was really interesting to see him kind of, like, grapple with that and, like, the tension that it caused between, um, you know, people living locally in Atlanta, especially like, you know, like the mothers of the victims and stuff. And, you know, just how like complicated that could become to like charge someone who was, who was black given, you know, the, the time period this was in America Uh, Uh, and just like, uh, you know, the KKK was actually, you know, obviously like, um, was, uh, you know, doing its thing back then, you know, and stuff. Right. So like it, it, it was, it, it, I thought it was like a really smart choice to like select this case. Yeah. Um, yeah. I you agree. know, I think there's a lot of like uniquely parallels interesting to things today. about it. Yeah. Um. I also liked, you know, this new, like, I think it was like the assistant director of the FBI, the guy who played, um, oh, I think it yeah. was like a gun. He looks yeah. like a Bond villain, Michael uh-huh. Severus. Like I thought that was, um, you know, that, that, that was like uh, uh, yeah, a, yeah, nice a, new a really, character. Uh, good performance and yeah. cool. Um, wanted to shout out to the uh, the montage in episode 8 of them like um, you know holding and tench going through you know just like all the different processes and, and like there's like this montage of them like getting like room service and like slapping bugs like waiting for the car like I think they do a great mm-hmm. job of um, showing just like the humidity of like Atlanta oh yeah totally and, you know just like through like sweat stains and yeah. like the insects like constantly buzzing and just how like hot and humid it must have yeah. been then and like when tench like i'm a very light sleeper rob which i think mm-hmm. you know like and mm-hmm. when he's like in the hotel room like the two curtains are like have this like slit of like sunlight coming through yeah and, like him to go him. in the closet and get he the iron the board and, like, yeah or the ironing like, board I, right yeah i've like done that before like that was actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. like me like representing yeah that's hilarious <laughs> was, like this damn this damn yeah. light um, i thought there was that, a little
1: that, too much in those later episodes directed by carl franklin a little too much of like them trying to be chummy with each other and like uh mm-hmm. there's like these little moments that they tried to introduce a little comedy which i just kind of it didn't it didn't like land for me um i know what they were going for to try to like lighten it up a tiny bit and just like these little <laughs> yeah. moments but i don't know i i just didn't really love that and Maybe it's just the way it was performed. Um, but anyway, minor critique.
0: I do think Jonathan Groff is holding for is like a really good like deadpan comedy yeah. actor. Just like the blank stares. Oh, up yeah, and, definitely. Like, you know, like Tench is like eating like right near as he's trying to like type something. Or just <laughs> yeah, like the yeah. looks that he gives when people tell him. Like, I I don't know. I, I, I just get a, a kick out of him. Obviously, the show is like by no means, uh, you know, a comedy or anything. But I think no. it has like moments of 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 relief which are nice and yeah i just i i really loved um this season and apparently fincher wants to make five seasons total and it could go in a lot of interesting directions netflix they haven't officially renewed it for a third season but i gotta imagine it will be renewed even if the off chance it doesn't i could see like another network like picking it up just because of um kind of the uh it seems like, yeah, the show does have a pretty like diehard audience and hey, make make it a um, movie,
1: Fincher, if they don't if they don't. Well this it felt you. so yeah. much
0: I mean, that's such a cliched thing, like, oh, this was, like a ten up ten hour movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. But especially with those longer episodes, it really felt like I was watching, you know, a, a Fincher movie like yeah. more than anything, which I which I love. So <laughs> me too. Anyway, um yeah, yeah so do you, move Mind on? Hunter... do you
1: wanna do um well so Mindhunter season two, Netflix, check it out. Yeah, sorry to wrap it up there. Um <laughs> So, do you want to move on to uh, Boney Vare or do you want to do a couple more TV shows? Uh, where should we go? So
0: let's uh, let's do a quick music interject interjection yeah, yeah. with Boney Vare. Like I cool. know we had just a few thoughts. So, his fourth studio album called I I um, I what I comma I all place. Right. And I know Rob, you're quite a um, a Boney Bear stan, as they sure. say. As For the kids sure. say. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, like, you know, you're, you're a fan. <laughs> I've of heard that. <laughs> you know, I think boney Ver kind of has like a similar career to like Tyler, the creator in a way who we talked about mm. in the last episode where, uh-huh. you know, he's in complete control of his creative vision. Um, he's got that diehard fan base and, yeah. you know, a lot of uh, critical adoration. Right, but, Justin um, Vernon, right. And he's able to kind of just do whatever whatever he wants and take chances. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, with this album, like, I think it's a, you know, it's quite experimental, uh, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's in the song structure, it's like very fractured. There's a lot of like start and stopping and like the track mm-hmm. titles are very weird, but it's still melodic. It's It's an emotionally raw album. There's no like song that's really like, teleported me like some of maybe his, his mm. past work mm-hmm. but i can agree with that I, you know i'm i'm I'm, in, I'm enjoying it and you know yeah he, he kind of like strains his voice more than ever on this album like yeah and feel like kind of yeah the emotional rawness to it here more than his past work but i don't know what do you what do you think of ii
1: yeah i kind of agree um f- you know first full listen i maybe didn't quite uh understand it or like grasp it and that's that's pretty typical with a bony ver album like it takes a few listens all the way through to have it kind of sink in and you know a lot of the songs sound very similar to each other so you at times in this album you can't tell when one song ends and the next mm-hmm. one begins um which i appreciate i appreciate like the album nature of that um I would say I've probably listened to the whole thing like five or six times. Um, It's not my favorite Bon Iver album, but it's really strong. Um, I had heard like five or six of the songs came out as singles or maybe four or five. Um, And I had heard a couple others uh, at the concert I saw last summer um, where he performed with Two Dance um, or Two Mm -hmm. Dance sort of performed around uh, this Bon Iver concert. And a couple of these songs in some form, uh, you know, like an early iteration, not like the final product uh, were performed at that concert. So I recognized a couple from that. Um, I think it's a it's a really strong album, um, a good summer release.
0: Now your uh, traditional relief. summer, uh, you know, this isn't like i put it on a barbecue.
1: type. Yeah, music, no, I, but like I just here. mean
0: like it's it's a it's a different sort of.
1: Uh, summer vibe you know like it's it feels like a nighttime sort of like late drive album and that's kind of when i've been (laughs) been listening to it um (laughs) or like an early morning commute thing um so yeah i'm really enjoying it it's uh it's not 22 a million for me which is probably my favorite bonny very album which was his last but Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's a strong album so
0: quick detour uh, out of music i think yeah i think we just we want to get to you want to talk uh succession season two really quickly which yeah. i know you sent me a text um <laughs> that was uh quite passionate about yeah. what they've been doing this season uh so succession hbo show it's two episodes in as we record this i find this season to be very entertaining like i oh, think yeah. they're getting like right into the meat of like what fans of the show want like in uh-huh. terms of like just like dialing up the characterizations of, yeah, of these, the, these kind of miserable people like from season one but the greg be, like, and tom just, moments together and yeah the
1: kendall shirt. like uh, falling into oblivion uh, mm-hmm. just needs a little just needs a little straightener to get through this meeting you know uh <laughs> him like right, floating right. around his, uh, his the apartment that he bought for greg uh, on like yeah. six or seven drugs at once and right. Has like no soul in his body anymore. <laughs> yeah, his <laughs> like, soul has has left Yeah, they they are they are kind of punching up the personalities for sure.
0: Yeah, I think Ro- the character of Roman, who's played by Kieran Culkin, one of Macaulay Culkin's brothers, like mm-hmm. I think he's killing it this season. It's just like the endearing like shithead, you know, who's right. like I don't know, like he he is he is so like slimy, and of course they kind of give him a lot of like the best lines and and whatnot. But I think it's been a really. uh I, I, I In a way, I just find him kind of, like, one of the more likable characters. I mean, it's kind of, like, yeah. a low ball, like everyone is kind of, to various degrees, unlikable. But I I probably... He kind of reminds me of, like a, like, a Pete Campbell type from, like, Mad mm. Men, where it's, like, yeah. weaselly. But, like, just over time, you kind of just, like, I just like having this peep guy on screen. Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: I love but, Greg, Greg. Cousin Greg, Greg the Egg. Like, he... Every <laughs> time he's on screen, they're also, like, punching him up a little more, even, than yeah. the first season. Like, he's this innocent sort of like bystander that's just sort of uh you know not privy to all the information but he's just there and observing and uh, eventually like he's gonna he's gonna chime in but he under the radar like comes up with really good ideas and you know gives that idea to tom about you know digitizing the company and the the news organization and yeah i mean I think this season is off to a great start and I'm like really interested to see where it goes. And it's,
0: it's just like high entertainment. Um, yeah. It's good. It's so Sunday fun night, to watch. Yeah. Adult drama. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of like that classic, you know, 9 PM Sunday night. Totally. Adult. Yeah. You know, a lot and it's of, diff- uh, it's a
1: little different than like, there aren't no people like killing each other in this show. And <laughs> right, you know, yeah, it's a little it's, more it's, about like family drama, human human stuff there's like drug abuse there's themes of power and greed and uh, ambition and you know i think there's no way that shiv roy gets the company you know jumping ahead like right something's gonna go down with that um, greg greg logan, is gonna logan roy,
0: uh, leapfrog somehow i want to see greg as ceo
1: yeah logan roy played by uh brian cox in this season is he was kind of like put on the on the bench a little bit during the first season because he had all these like health issues and those were you know really well performed the way he handled that but now he's like back in full power and Mm -hmm. really like really going for it he's a really intimidating figure I was like I'm always just like wow being in the same room as that guy just must be like really tough
0: (laughs) you know like yeah no intimidating I mean yeah not only you know he's you know this decorated actor that's been around, you know, for, for decades, but also like, yeah, just the force of personality of like the character himself, like, and he's so, kind of just scary to be in the yeah. room with like because of just you know how nasty he can be and the amount of power that he wields and everything yeah that's a really great performance yeah I'm really I'm enjoying this second season more than I than I thought it would I, I like nice. the first season for sure but this one I, I feel like I'm enjoying a, a bit more like I think the first yeah, it's season it's fun to watch to kind of like warm up to, and I think this second season again yeah it's kind of playing to its strengths which is, is good to see it kind of seems
1: like nobody is watching this show like I know it's huge on the ringer which we're huge followers right. of but uh <laughs>
0: yeah you know like no, I, yeah, the ringer thinks this is like you know lost and it's like peak as far as like you you would think yeah. that that many people are watching and talking about it if you just like consumed ringer content and it's really right. if you step outside the ringer bubble like yeah the show is it's not doing like gangbusters like right. ratings or anything but i am i am in the ringer bubble i live inside that right. bubble.
1: Yeah. <laughs> i consume it all yeah, but uh right. i mean yeah it's uh I, I would highly recommend this show to people if you haven't checked out the first season like go back and catch up it's i think it's it's really compelling and funny and dramatic and the way the first season ended was just like one of the best sort of conclusions to a season that i've ever seen it was up there with like boardwalk empire season two for me uh i don't know Hmm. shout out to the boardwalk people uh that's like (laughs) a major throwback but uh the like the way this season the first season ended kind of felt like the end of the second season of that show that's a Major tangent, but yeah, it's. I highly recommend it to people if you haven't seen it. Are you watching Hard Knocks this season? I am. I love Hard yeah, Knocks. So I, I haven't watched Hard in, Knocks. Hey, yeah, HBO I, I,
0: like uh, hire me in a couple of years. Here's your pitch. If you're listening, to HBO. <laughs> um, so Hard Knock I, you know, I obviously had seen seasons before, but I hadn't. I this is the first time watching it in, in a few years, and you know, this season follows. uh John Gruden's uh Oakland Raiders. And yeah. I just find the show, as it always is, to be just like fascinating from like a sociological level. Like do you know the voiceover is done by uh Liv Schreiber? Yeah, yeah. He's been doing yeah, it I didn't since know since the beginning. Yeah. Right. It's a great voiceover. I, I oh, don't know. And so I good. I recognize it and I but I didn't know who it was. I looked up, I was like, oh damn, Liv Schreiber. Um it's kind of like cringeworthy in the sense that like clearly these guys all know they're being filmed and like it's a bit of like a show even though it's supposed to be this like documentary about you know the training camp yeah you know, this nfl team lead up well the but there
1: are a lot of moments like certainly there are those moments that are a little punched up but most of it is just raw and you know they do a great job of like hiding the cameras i don't know all of like the production yeah. techniques but you know people are clearly mic'd up um but they, they, I imagine, shoot a lot of it on long lenses and just, you know, hide in the background or zoom in right. quite, quite a distance to, to get the shots. But I I think a lot of it is pretty real, you know, um, like mm-hmm. there's only so much like if you're in a room with 90 professional football players, you can't really like put on a performance. You know, you got to be John Gruden's got to be himself, you know. Right. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's super compelling because they just capture these moments that are that are just, like, super dramatic.
0: Yeah, it's just, like, it's great turn off your mind on a weeknight and enjoy type content. Like, it gets you hyped for the football season, and it's just, like, yeah, it's just entertaining and, you know, to see these professional athletes at the top of their, their game in the training camp and just, like, the dynamics between different players and, you know, they have, you know, you know, the Antonio Brown saga is obviously, yeah. like, it's just really interesting to see him, <laughs> like, he's... He's obviously not all there mentally. Um, right, but is man, kinda, that guy crazy works person. his
1: ass off. Like, that guy right. works super hard, and what a phenomenal athlete. Like, holy shit, that guy can run. Like, oh my yeah. god. He, the,
0: the helmet stuff is, like, ridiculous, though. I yeah. don't know. I We will turn this into, uh, you know, a sports podcast. But anyway, but man, we are both enjoying... Well,
1: I I just want to say a couple more things when they, you know, sometimes it's a lot of like human stuff and it's two guys in a room talking about, you know, how they need to try harder. And, but then all of a sudden, like you get those moments where John Gruden like has this outburst of yelling and it's like, we got to get their ass. And then (laughs) like, all of a sudden it's like this montage of hits on the field. And I I mean, (laughs) dude, like it, it gets me hyped for football. Like I, my, my sort of, fan uh level of the nfl has gone down over the years but this show it just shows like how hard these guys work how crazy this sport is um you know they're just they're just warriors out there and it's the the way the show opens each episode um the autumn wind is a pirate blustering in from the sea (laughs) like that that raider uh like theme song thing like that that just gets me hyped man
0: yeah very 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 poetic um so what uh what else do we want to talk about here i know we're trying to go through like rapid fire some topics yeah um what do you what do you want to talk about next here um
1: real quick uh so i wanted to i saw the movie the farewell uh directed by lulu wong um it's a movie uh i just wanted to touch on i think people should check it out if you know maybe if you can't get to it in the theater like look out for it on on dvd blu-ray release uh whatever streaming platform. I don't think we were buying DVDs right, like we yeah, are anymore, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I the streaming service. Yeah. No, but like it's, if it's still in the theaters, um, I think it's like at 99% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like really staggering. Um, really well received by critics and audiences. Um, it's a beautiful like movie just about family and death and love. And, You know, it's kind of centered around uh, this Chinese family, Chinese slash American family. Um, And there's some interesting stuff about like what it's like to grow up in China, then move to America and then how it feels to go back to China as an adult. Um, The main character is played by uh, Aquafina, you know, from her rap career fame. And she was in Crazy Rich Asians. Asians. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really great movie I would say it's uh you it's know a 24 release right yeah I believe so really heartfelt mm. um just a really good like family drama with some light-hearted moments and uh yeah I, I highly recommend it to people and then also I wanted to mention um it kind of goes along the same lines with these like Chinese American stories um this documentary that just came out on Netflix called American Factory mm. um it's the the first feature release from Higher Ground Productions, which is the uh, Michelle and Barack Obama founded uh, production company, so mm-hmm. it's it's definitely like a political start, <laughs> I would say, to <laughs> this production company. Um, yeah. American Factory is all about uh, this GM plant in Dayton, Ohio, that closed in two thousand eight. Um, you know, shuttered because the the car manufacturing industry is going through a lot of changes and this factory like employed ten thousand people in the dayton ohio area and they all were laid off and then so this chinese company called fuyao glass came in and sort of restored it uh hired back a bunch of those american workers um and and named the the shop fuyao glass america and basically they make uh auto glass like windows and and uh you know, windshields, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, it is super interesting to see the differences in Chinese and American sort of labor laws and yeah. labor practices. And obviously like communist China handles their workers quite drastically differently than American workers are treated and, uh, you know, lifestyle differences and things. Um, the first half of this documentary to me was like a 10 out of 10. And then it kind of fizzles toward the end. Um, I, it it didn't necessarily like keep me riveted through the, through the end, but, um, I think it's really worth people's time. Um, and obviously like, uh, Michelle and Barack Obama, if they put their name to it, uh, I kind of stand behind it, and it's it's worth uh, yes. it's worth looking at. So yeah, that's American Factory on Netflix.
0: Yeah, that's on It's it's on my list. I know. Yeah, it just came out, so haven't haven't watched it yet. But I've heard I've heard really good things, and will be will be watching um, asap. So I wanted to quickly recommend a book that I have been reading. You know, sometimes we drop in some some book <laughs> recs. Yeah, so yeah, this is um. Bob Dylan written by Bob Dylan uh so it's called the Bob Dylan Chronicles volume one it was published back in 2004 and it's it's really it's this book you know written you know by Bob Dylan in the first person like and covers kind of three distinct points um from Dylan's long career. So in 1961, when he kind of first moves to New York, he's trying to make a name for himself in Greenwich Village. Um, Really just interesting thinking of him, you know, just at that stage of his career where he wasn't discovered. He was just trying to play as much as possible, network. and the, the other points are, yeah, 1970 and 1989, um, you know, in 1970, he's recording his album New Morning. And then 1989, uh, he's in New Orleans recording this album, No Mercy. Mm-hmm. That chapter really goes on a deep dive into like his recording and songwriting process, like deni- the dynamics in the studio with like the producer and, you know, um, the other, you know, musicians that he that he hired to, to help record the album and what strikes me most about this book, it's really kind of like this stream of consciousness of Bob Dylan's like soul. But it's like, this dude is like the most observant human being that's like ever existed. Like he has this incredible photographic memory and just his vocabulary and the way he describes everything in his life from like the, these time periods is like just, it's like Hemingway shit. Like, I don't know. Like it, it is so like, basically every page has like at least like one piece of like, wisdom where you're like holy crap like i've never thought of it that way and it's like you know it's not a terribly long book it's about like 300 pages but it's um it's just one that like feeds the soul you know particularly i'd recommend it to you know anyone that's been like a musician before or is like an aspiring artist and Uh stuff like it's just uh it's a really really wonderful read and he's just like an incredible writer i mean like obviously like his career as this like you know one of the best lyricists of all time like it's no surprise that that can translate into like you know this kind of writing style but bob dylan chronicles volume one um you know if you have any interest in in dylan and just like the way he phrases sentences and describes these very specific periods in his life and just the amount of detail and the amount of imagery that he evokes and sense of like smell and feel and touch like it's really amazing just how like nice man how he forms these kind of sentences yeah i'm not i'm
1: not the biggest dylan head but uh you know I, mm-hmm. I i'm kind of sold i i believe i own this book actually but i i left it at my mom's house i bought it when i was in london um okay but i've never read it uh yeah. so yeah that. when we were in london i should say we were there together oh wow yeah i
0: was gonna say yeah 2009 Shout out um, study abroad yeah um yeah
1: did, uh, so did you see this
0: trailer um i was gonna say did you see the trailer for this noah bomback movie uh marriage story or I trailers. Did. I did I watched so, both
1: trailers yeah the dueling uh his and her trailers
0: I just thought this was like a very innovative like marketing tactic yeah I don't think I've really seen before of like releasing two different trailers from the perspectives of these two lead characters played by Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver yeah kind of going through a divorce and like I just thought it was like really um yeah really smart and interesting to uh to you know market this film it's Mm going to be out later this fall it's getting you know it's going to be you know positioned in the oscar race i'm sure like Mm. it's directed by noah bomback who i'm not a huge fan of per se but this Mm. looks like a very like deeply human for sure story of divorce with two like really good performances and i just love that decision to do like two different trailers from the Mm -hmm. other perspectives especially given what the subject matter is of this film yeah it's it's getting a netflix
1: release right
0: yeah it'll be in on netflix and in theaters as well okay um, like in october
1: maybe late october or something Mm -hmm. i I haven't seen a date for it but um Mm -hmm. yeah look out for this uh marriage story and check out the trailer um yeah it's on youtube and watch the longer one i think it's like two minutes and 40 seconds. And they just run both trailers back to back um, from mm-hmm. both perspectives. And it's really, really cool and interesting. I've never really seen anything just like it, but yeah, it's uh it looks really compelling and I'm, I'm definitely interested And you know, shout out, we have to shout out uh, Greta Gerwig's new film. Oh yeah. Uh, Little women coming out Christmas. Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. Christmas day. That trailer is also great. And they're together. Yeah. Are they married or engaged? Noah Bomback and, Greta Gerwig. Oh, are
0: they? I didn't know. I mean, yeah,
1: they're together. Kind of makes I, sense. I, I think gotten. they're either married or like engaged. I'm not sure, but yeah, they're yeah. Uh, they're a couple.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for Little Woman. I loved Lady Bird, one of my favorite films of the last few years, and really like this this cast. And yeah, the trailer's really good. Good time period piece. It seems like it has, you know, similar to Lady Bird has. We'll have like a really good blend of drama and comedy mm. and. Yeah, I'm excited for the Lady Bird follow up, and you yeah. know, uh, Timothy Chalamet is in it as well. You yeah, know, Saoirse and the cat- Ronan, and, uh, Emma Ronan, Watson. Yeah. Uh, um,
1: what is the the, the uh, lead actor's name from um, Midsummer? Midsummer. Yeah, uh,
0: Fran- is it Florence Pugh? Yeah, right? Florence Pugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She looks yeah, great she-
1: in this. She as a painter. Yeah, uh, obviously, Little Women's a familiar story to a lot of people, but. Uh, Shout out to Midsommar. I know we talked about the trailer in <laughs> the right, last episode. All right, let's do our 90-minute Midsommar
0: like, deep dive. A long time since
1: mark. we've recorded. <laughs> yeah. Life happens. But uh, yeah, uh, I just wanted to you say love Midsommar, Midsommar right? is great. If you haven't seen that yet, check that out if it's if you can find it still in the theater.
0: Midsommar is a interesting experience. I did not love it, but I admired uh, a lot of its originality, the set yeah. design. It's it's quite unlike anything you've you've ever really uh seen. Yeah. It has, you know, from Ari Aster who did Hereditary um last year, which we both loved. Um it's uh I don't know. I mean I'm sure people listening to this are familiar, you know, to an extent what the movie's kind of about and the yeah. vibe it's going for, but it's 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 just it is original. I'll it's give it a trippy. That. I thought it's the scary half. It's tense. Yeah. It's uh, right. it's it's like really funny. funny. I mean there's a <laughs> yeah. lot of, you know, in, in it has, in the first 20 minutes, I won't say what the scene is. I'm sure you'll know, though. Oh. One of the most disturbing sequences I think I've ever seen in a yeah. movie. Yeah. Ever. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Also, like I almost, they- like, it recalibrated, like, my... I almost, like, left the... Because th- I... Yeah. That ended up, for me, being the scariest scene in the whole sequence. But mm-hmm. it was, like, at the 15-minute mark, and I was like, holy crap. Like, it's going to oh, be like this. Like That I wasn't the to, scariest
1: like- moment for me. The scariest moment was when the older gentleman jumps off the cliff uh, <laughs> feet first, and i i audibly gasped and <laughs> right. like clenched my seat in anticipation of the landing
0: whoo yeah. that was a, <laughs> that was a moment <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Midsommar, uh if you're intrigued by this um, kind of uh, cryptic conversation Rob and I are having, uh, check it out. It is it is worth seeing. I will say that, even though yeah. I, I had some great cinematography. Half.
1: Yeah, it, it so, flips like the horror genre on its head a lot of ways. Uh, the brightness of it, and um, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of bright, unlike anything bright. I've ever seen before. I would say.
0: So to wrap up this kind of uh, free-wheeling conversation that we're having <laughs> to, to to end this pod, um, we want to talk about Disney plus the, the streaming service yeah. that is coming out, I believe November 12th, 12th? or yeah. yeah. So this is something, you know, I think around, you know, Thanksgiving time and Christmas mm-hmm. everyone's together. Like it, it's, you know, much anticipated. Um, Disney obviously like is, uh, you know, one of the most successful, you know, media corporations ever. Yeah. Probably the most successful. So there's a guy right? Walt so Disney. Disney <laughs> right. They've had a nice run. Um, so, this streaming service, it's gonna have, you know, all the Disney properties, uh, Pixar, which of course is owned by Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, yeah, uh, National Geographic. Like this is gonna be a heavy hitter, obviously, like um, and competitor with, you know, the Netflix and Amazons and right. Hulus Hulu. of the world and stuff. And it's a seven dollar per month uh, price point, which I yeah. think is really solid. I think Netflix now is like what, like twelve, thirteen. Well, I pay for the four
1: K. It's fifteen ninety nine a month.
0: Yeah, jeez, yeah. man taking a bath on that yeah it's um, so a, it, it's no joke right <laughs> Right, but um you know th- there's the mandalorian um mm. uh, series which is this star wars spinoff that about right. john favreau is kind of like um show running that Dude, trailer did you just see dropped. the other day i mean obviously there was the comic-con release
1: of all these like announcements from marvel and a bunch of those mm-hmm. are straight to disney plus things but the other day they they announced like four more series that are like all Marvel series on Disney Plus. I'm oh like, yeah, man, yeah, it might be it might be in in the oversaturation territory and like <laughs> I think it's fair to say. I mean, that right yeah. I'm not going to watch those. <laughs> like, right? I'm sorry, yeah. I don't I have time a second of my shit. time to uh,
0: like She Hulk or something. I don't know. There was like ones that were like these like you know obscure spinoffs. Who knows? I mean, Mar like they you know they I wouldn't I wouldn't you know they, they've built I think a lot of. Uh, You should kind of maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. But Mm -hmm. there is this, especially now getting into the TV realm, like, you know, a lot of these um, Marvel shows on Netflix kind of had, like, mixed results. And now they're obviously Mm going to all be on this Disney Plus platform. But I feel like when this comes out, you know, Apple's streaming service is coming out around the same time. Mm -hmm. They've had the, uh, I know, the trailer for, like, The Morning Show, which kind of is their tentpole, star-studded. Drama with Steve Carell, Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, like that looks pretty good. Like I don't know, that wasn't the trailer. wasn't like okay, now I need Apple Plus. Like I, right. I, I, I need Apple streaming service. Like no, I could was, see this left Disney me one. Yeah, I could see it like kind of burying like Apple's streaming service around it the time. Might. I feel like that's kind of also the narrative like building up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, aren't they going a package?
1: See, yeah. Isn't I, I heard something about Disney Plus packaging with Hulu. And ESPN Plus, and it's going to be like twelve ninety nine a month or something. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. It'll be like Hulu with commercials. We currently pay for the Hulu without commercials, so I, I, they'll probably have an option for that as well. Um, maybe mm. that'll be like you know eighteen dollars or something. That's that's a game changer, by the way. If you don't pay for that little upgrade on Hulu, uh,
0: it makes it makes it much more uh, streamlined. Oh, the commercials are. We have the commercial tier of Hulu, yeah. and. It's like yeah, you, like it's these, jarring. You, know, you watch like an episode, a rerun of like Seinfeld, and it's like yeah. the opening bit, and then it's like a ninety-second commercial, and then back, and it's like it is, it is. Uh, no, it's
1: a wait, major upgrade when wait. you go to that commercial-free. I think it's like six more dollars a month. It's totally worth it to me. It's like the price of a bagel, you know. Um, <laughs> I would go for that. But yeah, right. I'm I'm curious to see with Disney Plus how they handle like the Disney archive. You know, like Disney doesn't always release their their classics on blu-ray like at any given time they they put them in the disney vault or whatever um Mm -hmm. and so i'm curious to see how they handle that and if they they put up you know certain movies for a one year period and then they take those 10 down and they put up 10 different classics and um how they'll because i don't think they're just gonna throw up every single disney movie that's ever been made you know like that's that seems to me not a great business strategy for them. I I think they'll, they've obviously been working on this quite diligently and they have some top executives uh, crunching the numbers, but, uh, you yeah. know, from afar, I would recognize, no, um, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I'm just curious to see how they handle the Disney vault and how they release, like, all of their classics. Yeah, if it's
0: all at once. I did see on Twitter that they will, rather than the strategy of Netflix of, like, dumping an entire season at once, it is going to be, like, weekly episodes. So, like, mm. you know, this Mandalorian show, for example, is going to be weekly, and It'll be, yeah, interesting to see, you know, I think there are pros and cons to both. A big benefit of doing the weekly drop is it just continuing the cultural conversation longer. Like, you know, this Mandalorian, like, it's, it's Star Wars property. It looks like it's in good hands. Like, mm-hmm. people are going to be, like, it's going to be leading up to the release of Rise of Skywalker in December. Mm. Like, throughout, yeah, like, that month of November and December, like, the holidays. Like, people are going to be talking about the oh, Mandalorian. Yeah. Like, no rather, than, you know, like, Stranger Things, which we didn't even... Talk about which I really enjoyed the third season. Oh, so we but never like, mentioned Stranger Things we, on this podcast. We binged it. know yeah. in, a, in a, I binged it like in a weekend. That show is so so bingeable. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. But like because of the fact that it all dropped at once, like I feel like people stopped really talking about it after like a week, you know. And where right. you have this, um if you have it on a weekly basis over the course of like eight weeks, I mean, it just, I don't know, it, it helps with like the cultural conversation. And I think. Disney, that's a smart, like, tactic to kind of differentiate themselves from, like, you know, Netflix, which is going to be their major competitor. So I will be getting, you know, definitely, like, the free trial to start and at least like, yeah, just having like the entire Pixar library, like go back and like rewatch, like, you know, like Ratatouille or like, Oh yeah. The star Wars films, like leading up to rise of Skywalker. Like I, you know, I kind of want to do that. And you Mm know, you know, some of the older Marvel movies, like I think it's going to be, um, you know, a major player obviously because of the brand name behind it and what they've done strategically. So,
1: and to circle back, shout out to Maya Hawk, uh, Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman's daughter who is in, once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Stranger Things Season 3. So uh, yeah. we've, we've circled back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah,
0: She's got a hell, hell of a parent duo. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah, on that note, um, that's going to do it for this episode of Must Go Faster. 40th episode in the bag. Thanks so yes. much as always, everyone for listening. Please you know, feel free to share our pod with anyone that you think might enjoy it. Yeah, please we'll, do. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.
1: Thanks a lot for listening. Talk to you soon. Peace, Ben.